Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. With your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've been a penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Tuesday pre-market prep. Spencer Israel, Joel Elkanen, Dennis Dick with you this morning. Today, we are uh, being nostalgic. We're going back to our roots, and we are reconnecting with fundamentals, like our old high school boyfriends and girlfriends are reconnecting with the long-lost love of the fundies. And we'll talk about that. We'll talk about uh, PayPal I want to discuss. We'll talk about uh, ARK Invest and their new space ETF. We'll talk about uh, ATVI had a headline. Uh, Tesla had a headline. What else is new there? There's always headlines with Tesla. More fallout from this Archer Ghost blow-up thing. I, I think I saw some estimates that Credit Suisse would lose as much as $7 billion. I don't think they even know how much they're going to lose yet, but it's going to be a lot. Uh, two guests on the docket for today. First up at 835, Joel Kalina who is the head of technology and media trading at Whitebush Securities. He is great. You see what joins us at 8.35. And then Jay Young, president of King Operation, an oil and gas firm, will join us at 9 to talk energy. That being said, everyone, smash that like button, Joel. Bring up those charts and tell us how we are doing in the pre-market session. Oh, boy, I'm almost worn out from the pre-pre-market show, man. You guys had me in stitches there. But uh, let's look at the S&P. And we were we were doing okay. And then we fell apart here around 7 o'clock. We're down 13 and a quarter handles at 39.45.75. I'm just going to call this whole 39.70 area. 70.78, super extra major resistance. That pre-market low, 43 and a quarter, folks. I don't see much down until Monday's low at uh, 28.75. Crude down a buck, but still over $60. We're down a buck one at 60.55. Uh, with gold, ooh, I hear some of this forced liquidation is kind of leaking over into the gold market. Gold down 25.80 at 16.88.90. Silver marching towards 34. That's down 46 cents at 24.32. And Bitcoin, what's bad for everything else must be good for Bitcoin. This thing will not go down. It's up $1,750 to $59,950. Before I bring Triple D in, I just want to say that everything I say, is strictly for informational purposes only. I am not myself today. I got a Uh-oh. game at 10 o'clock tonight. It's a pajama game. I'm going to be a nervous wreck the entire day, and then I have to stay up past midnight. So for Michigan to make it Final Four. So please 
please take everything with a grain of salt that I say today. You should anyways. You should do your own investment research and consult your own investment advisor. Triple D. What are you seeing? What are you seeing out there? I mean, did you get to your desk in time? I hope you got there by like seven o'clock because we've had a we've had a pretty decent it's, summer. It's just Groundhog Day. It's the same stocks getting hit every single day, and it's the growth names. I mean, they're oversold. They've been oversold. We've had a couple little bounces, but they continue to be oversold. But they're oversold for good reason. A lot of these growth names were trading at ridiculous valuations, and you know what? This is the market that is reconnecting with reality. And the similarities back to March of 2000 when the tech bubble burst are so, there's so many similarities. What happened was, and everybody thinks, oh yeah, we just crashed. That didn't happen. It took over a year and a half for the NASDAQ to fall the 81% that it did. It was a slow cascade. We called it death by a thousand cuts. Every day you'd come in and loosen technologies would be down another 3%, the most widely owned stock back then. You know, every day you'd come in and your growth names would be down a little bit more, a little bit more. And you're like, okay, they're going to come back. They're going to bounce back. And also what happened early in that, which people don't realize, is that they flocked out of the high PE stuff, out of the growth names, and they flocked into the value names. They flocked into safety trade. We're going to move safe. And then what happened a couple months later? Everything rolled over. And that was because you had the growth names that just could not catch a bit. Stocks that were trading at 70 or 80 times earnings couldn't catch a bid. So then what you have is portfolio managers coming in and starting selling good stuff to raise money for their bad holdings. So, I mean, this could just be getting started, this party in the growth names. It could also be 1998. And maybe we're going to, you know, bounce back here. Maybe this is just another dip. But it's been significant enough and long enough now in some of this PE stuff like Zoom that you start thinking, I, I think, you know, that it's coming to roost. You know, Tesla, same story. I mean, you look at the company. Yeah, the story was awesome. We've been trading on story for a year and not caring anything about fundamentals. But at this point in time, we are starting to care about valuation. In the last two months, you can definitely see the rotation. And we're starting to care about valuation and fundamentals. So this market is reconnecting with valuation. And you know what? Valuation matters to this market all of a sudden. And you know what? There's a lot of stocks still trading at ridiculous valuations. If you're in a stock that's trading 50 times sales, if you're in your door dashes and saying, well, the stock is cheap, it was $200, now it's $129. I mean, is it cheap? Do your homework on your stocks, crunch your numbers, because your CFA hat didn't matter three months ago. It sure as hell matters now. So yeah, people are going to say, well, what about GameStop? There's always going to be outliers, but you know, GameStop will eventually come to roost too. So I think this is the market where you actually do some fundamental research and you buy companies that are at reasonable prices. Like, look what I've been buying, Lockheed Martin. That was a great call. Everybody there. laughs, you know, and say, Lockheed Martin, who the hell wants to own Lockheed Martin when I was buying it at 325 and th- or 330? I paid 330. But when I was buying that, and I took heat, it went all the way down to 320. I didn't get the bottom, but I was like, you know what? Reasonable valuation, dividend, space. You know, Kathy's, you know, we talked about Kathy's. This is going to be a, a segue into Kathy's ETF. On before you do that, before you do that, before you do that, you brought up a term and in, in two terms here. And if I don't know if you're day trading, you're swing trading or long term investing, but if you're looking at a, a chart on something and you're saying, 
it's oversold. Uh, it's got to bounce or it's overbought. Those are two of the probably most misused terms on Wall Street because something can stay overbought for a really long time and something can stay oversold. So look at, you got to have a hell of a lot better criteria than saying, oh, like uh, it's oversold. Like, yeah, you can jump in Viacom here. Uh, It's oversold. Well, you know what? There are people that bought this in March. It was March. oversold at 70. Yeah, and it went to 100. So just, yeah, you know, overbought. just maybe we should ban that term from the show. Overbought, oversold. It's so it's so nebulous. But go ahead. Let's go into. Uh, I mean, I, I, I use it just because it's the timing of it. I'm waiting for that rip to sell. You know, I hate it, yeah. selling on dips. So I'm like, when something's oversold, I'm looking for that rip to lighten up. And, you know, every time we go up, on the queues, every time we get that rip roar and rally, like Friday night, I'm selling more growth names. You know, I'm selling more names because I have the barbell approach too. I mean, my barbells always lean more value. So my portfolio obviously doing very well with a lot of value names in it right now. But I've got some of those smaller growth names too. I had a little bit of those. And, you know, I lightened those up for the last month, you know, what I'm talking about every day on the show. Um, so, you know, I'm not hurting as bad as some people, but don't kid yourself. I still have a couple of those growth names. I still kept a small piece of the Fisker. That's been garbage. I have a couple other EV plays. Those have all been garbage. Um, it, it's difficult to just come in here and say, okay, now is the time it's going to turn. And if you've been trying to time the turn, you're not doing well. If, you, if you're doing the Kathy Wood style, though, she is just buying the growth in the high PE stuff continuously. She bought 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, oh, 25 names yesterday. They are all high PE. So she's all in. She's not going to change her investing style. She's growth at any cost. And it's hurting right now. It's hurting. And is it going to turn? It could. Like, I'm not saying, you know, that Kathy yeah, Woods' nothing, party nothing is over. But, but if we are in April of 2000, where we've seen the top, but we don't know we've seen the top. Because it didn't just happen suddenly. You know, we've got to go back and look at history. If we have topped out in the high P stuff, and if people all of a sudden matter about valuation, can Teladoc continue to go lower? Absolutely. You know, look what they hit yesterday. They're starting to hit the growth names that they haven't hit yet. I mean, Penn Gaming had a terrible day yesterday. DraftKings, which has been holding up till five days ago, made a new high six days ago. Down from that high in six days. Your People are out of money. People 74 are out of money. to 50. They're not out of money. They're not out of money. They're just rotating out of this stuff. They're starting to say, hey, you know, I'm not making any money. I mean, we used to just say, oh, well, I'm going to buy this stock because I think Kathy Woods, if it's down significantly, Kathy Woods will come in and buy it. And then it'll get announced at night and it'll pop up the next day. Well, let's look at Kathy's buys from yesterday. DKNG. Um, it's actually up. So DKNG is getting the Kathy pop. So I was about the first one to look well, at. Well, yeah. I mean, look at the day that it had yesterday. Yeah, little... but that's up because huh? of Kathy. Teladoc okay. is down. So so, so there is a few Kathy pops. And U is down. Square doesn't care. Shop is down, doesn't care. Roku. Roku's up. Maybe that's with Kathy. I don't know if there's another news there because it's up four bucks. So she still have a little bit of influence in here. But when we were talking about Kathy Woods two months ago, she'd buy a stock and it popped 10% you know, some of these smaller names, some of the smaller ones. So we're not seeing that now. And you know what else we're not seeing is you look at Jim Cramer and you look at Mad Money. He'd feature one of these SPACs, you know, on Mad Money, and the SPAC would pop 20%. Think about the tweets, you know, I was tweeting back six months ago. This SPAC comes on, you know, and boom, it's popping 20% because it's being featured. And Jim Cramer says it's a buy. 
He pumped that BFT last night relentlessly. I mean, he is saying this is not like the other SPACs. This is a company. This is fully. Kramer was, and he may end up being right. Maybe this is going to be one that we want to own. But, you know, he was just relentlessly pumping it, and it's up 20 cents. I mean, that's telling you that people have been burned by growth, and they're staying away from those names right now. They're spooked. The market is spooked to just go and grab any SPAC right now. That's why the SPACs are really struggling. So the question is, you know, how does this resolve itself? And I see one of two ways for the overall market. I see one of two ways. Two, so there's, there's two, two ways this could happen. One is all these growth names start to bounce back and it carries the markets to new all-time highs. Oh, or two, growth continues to leak like it did in April and May of 2000. By growth, I mean the higher PE stuff continues to leak. And then what happens is portfolio managers start selling everything else to raise cash. So, And then the whole market rolls over. So I don't know which scenario is going to come. You know, Like I said, growth is overvalued for a long time and, and oversold right now. So we are due for a bounce. So maybe we'll get another bounce. So maybe we're going to get taken up you know, to S&P you know, over 4,000 here because why not? We've come this far. I kind of think the SPY could hit 4,000. It's definitely not a bear market in SPY, but there's a bear market in a lot of these growth names. So it, it's difficult to say what you do. I think you still take the approach. You have a little bit of growth. I like the value a lot more. I have a lot. I'm probably 75% value, maybe 80% value, 20% growth in my longer term portfolio. I was probably leaning a little bit more, like probably like 40% growth when we were really pumping, but definitely underperforming all the other growth names. So the question is, you know, how, you know, first of all, your own position, do you have cash? I hope you do have some to, you know, spend on, but am I coming in here and buying Lockheed Martin now? You know, are you coming in here after, you know, it just run 40 bucks? No, I don't think so. I'm not chasing any of these names here because these ones could roll over too if, you know, the whole market rolls over. But I'd rather have my money in a Lockheed Martin right now than a Teladoc. So, but everything could turn quickly too. Just as we are right now, though, anything with growth is highly out of favor. And because the valuations were just ridiculous. Q, Spencer. I talked for a long Sorry, time. I didn't realize that sleep. was me. No, no, I, I didn't realize that was my cue. Um, there was a couple of things I wanted to add, uh, but then you kept going, and then I sort of forgot where I was going to jump. In. <laughs> you oh. got to take notes when Dennis is on. Yeah, right. yeah, so you know, it, so you know where to go back to. Yeah. we were going to do. Uh, <laughs> Nobody I have experience to me anymore. Nobody listens to no, me no, anymore. It's not that no one listens. It's, it's that I kept listening with me. If I had stopped, with <laughs> I, I would have. Oh, okay. This is what I wanted to add. But then you kept on going, and then I forgot what I wanted to add. So uh, we got to just interrupt them. Yeah. We can go to um, uh, Kathy. Since I don't remember what I was going to say, we can just go to Kathy um, because we were just talking about that on the pre pre market show. Not, maybe we'll get to the space thing in, the, in a little bit. Um, but I'm more looking at. The amended, uh, the amended filing—not filing—that's the wrong word. The amended prospectus from Friday, we did not discuss this yesterday. Uh, they, they, they quietly—well, I mean, not not quietly, intentionally, but I mean, it's naturally quietly. You think, to, like, this is naturally quiet the thing to do. They amended their prospectus to say to, uh, to say two things. They made two changes. One, they said now we are getting rid of the limit, whereas. Uh, an ETF, one of our funds, can have a 30% weighting to a specific stock. Oh, and two, we are getting rid of the limit that said we cannot own more than 20% 
of a company's total outstanding shares. She wants to go all in on Tesla, and stuff, and like. that and that's that shouldn't really be a surprise because because what is she what has she been saying in recent weeks? She's all she's said is, hey, if we get into a um a a contraction, a period where growth is out of favor for a prolonged period of time, how are we going to survive that? We're going to consolidate. We're gonna go. We're gonna go more into the names we believe in, and we're gonna get. We're gonna cut the cut the crap. We're gonna cut the dead totally weight, macro, right? Man. That's basically what she said. Is we're gonna consolidate into the strongest positions. So how? So they can't really do that with a thirty percent li- uh, uh, limit on any fund weighting, and a twenty percent limit on owning any one company's outstanding shares. So that being said, uh, I should note that they are currently nowhere near having. Thirty percent of any one fund. Why would you want to disclose? I mean, even if well, they she wants to be able to do, do that, whatever she I mean, wants. well, they have to. Oh, I mean, oh, Jesus, Murphy. Okay, let's tell everyone. I got no, no, no. Oh, they, they, they have to, and props to somebody for noticing that. Maybe, yeah, whoever it was so, that noticed that. But I, I should, I should add that. So they amended the rule saying, yeah, okay. So now we are allowed to allocate more than one fund, uh, more than one position to thirty percent of our fund, uh, but. They're not anywhere close to that. Currently, the largest holding in any of their funds is about ten percent, right? The Tesla. Uh, yeah, it's Tesla. Uh, ARKK has about ten percent on Tesla. Um, ARKW has ten percent on Tesla. ARKF has ten percent of Square, and ARKQ is ten percent on Tesla. So they are oh, not geez. anywhere close to thir- the thirty percent bogey. Just yeah, so, but just she wants to, if it's going gets tough, she wants to be able to go all in on Tesla. I mean, one, she obviously is starting to say, I'm not going to diversify as much here because right, I'm getting right. slammed in all this small crap that I keep buying. Right. Um, which she is. Um, and then, you know, two is just, you know, she really believes in Tesla. She said, what's her price target, her new price target? Uh, well, she gave a few, right? Uh, like $4,000. Her bearish price target's like 2000 She's so much a believer in Tesla that I... Is this good for Tesla? Is it, you know, this is under the radar here, but if she's just going to start buying the stock hand over fist. 3,000, I guess, was like the main. May, maybe she can push it up too. I don't know. Um, yeah. You know, she we, we had the Kathy push already and, and the market laughed at it, obviously. When that was 100 bucks target. ago. Yeah, when, when it was 660 and went to 700 because she said it was going to 4,000 with that day. So 700 and then it just went straight down since then. Um, it's scary. I mean, this is, you know, against everything that I've learned in trading that one, I like to stay diversified. I like to control risk, but if you're just going all in on growth and you're going all in on, you know, what you yeah, believe in, you probably shouldn't be all in on growth. Is that, is I think the point? Well, she yeah. is all in on growth though. No, no, no. I mean, but, but she, but if she just runs a fund as an investor, you probably shouldn't be all in on growth. Right. Like, and, and like cat, like Kathy's filings, they say that, right. Like these are growth funds. We we are yeah. She has we, to stay growth because she's a growth. We, we have concentration risk, right? Yeah. Uh, if if you own one hundred percent of your net worth into growth ETFs like Arc or similar, that might not be the best thing to do. Um, you know, so yeah. So let Kathy be a slice. Don't let Kathy be the whole thing. You know, another thing laying on this market too, and you know, I I know I've kind of been uh you know poo pooing this, but that ten year yield keeps like creeping up. You know, one six, one seven, and I, I've always said, oh, why are people going to pull their you know money out of the stock market? You know, to get one six, one seven, one eight. Well, when you <laughs> when you got the market going down, you know, 
going down five, ten percent, you know, maybe those ten-year treasury, maybe one six, one seven. I don't know what it's going to take to do a huge reasset allocation, maybe two percent. But that, I mean, and also like the whole street, everybody except Jerome Powell's convinced that you know rates are going up and we have rampant inflation, which can be a two-edged sword for stocks. Uh, but you, you got to keep an eye on that. I mean, interest rates, I mean, they're moving up, and that is competition for the equities markets yeah it's competition but i think it's the rates are still so low i'm not that concerned about that i'm just concerned either am i i'm more concerned that you know paying 70 times sales or 50 times sales not 50 times earnings 50 times sales for companies like zoom i mean it, it carried so much on the story everybody's the hype the hype the hype and we were saying story that all that oh. mat- is all that matters you know you had you know um obviously uh citron andrew left on our show saying story is all that matters it was this was the market we were in three four five six months ago even two years ago we're not in that market we're not in kansas anymore and you know what story is cool and story might carry a stock for a day but it's not carrying the stocks like it used to. It's not, you know, like you get Kramer featuring a stock for the first time, people are hearing about it for the first time. It's not popping like it used to. And that's because everybody's telling their story in social media and they're telling the stories everywhere. We got story overload. I mean, there's just story overload on a lot of these stocks and people are back down to the roots, the grassroots, where you have fundamental analysis that actually starts to matter. So I, I just cannot fathom paying some of these prices for some of these stocks so oh, dennis that's arguably a good thing because you, you I, look, I think it's a I, fantastic I, thing i love this yeah i think it's a fantastic thing because the markets need it, it makes me more confident that the process works yeah it's been so long that i've it's been like been I, you know, I, I did my cfa you know i've been like taking my cfa hat and throwing it out here for the last year because it hasn't mattered i'm like i can't think about valuation i just got to think about story because that is what drives price right now. That's not the way it is anymore. I mean, you look at DoorDash. The story was cool. Yeah, they deliver. But we've talked about this. And we're like, well, how long is it before one competition comes? And two, how can they sustain those margins? And three, are they even making money? So when stock goes from 220 to 129, it's deserved. It was deserved. And you know what? If it falls in half again from here, it's probably deserved. You know, it's nothing wrong with the company. The company's done everything right. It's wrong with the investors that they were paying ridiculous prices for companies that were never going to be able to meet those higher expectations. I mean, Airbnb might be the same thing, although I do love Airbnb's business. And I do believe this is a game changer for the hotel industry. And this is why I hate the hotel stocks. I absolutely Hilton Marriott, the runs that these companies have had. This is ridiculous in itself. For Hilton to be trading at new all-time highs when we still have a pandemic and we still have Airbnb eating their lunch is ridiculous. So, you know, Airbnb, I I like a lot better than a DoorDash. It's still a crazy valuation. I can't pay it, but I can get behind that. I think Airbnb is a real disruptor. I think there's going to be a lot less people, you know, there's only less business travel probably going forward, but there's less people. When I go on vacation now, we look for an Airbnb. We don't First, look for Yeah, hotels. we, we cool. look at one. In, it's um, cool. Yeah. Yep. yep. Why is Hilton at all-time highs? If I was in Hilton, just my opinion, if I was in Hilton, I would be selling it as fast as I possibly could. I think Hilton at 119 is insanity. This is higher than it was before the pandemic started, and they still have Airbnb 
eating their lunch. Marriott, same story. All these hotels, because we're all in on the reopening trade. Everybody's going to flock to hotels. Cases in Michigan are just going through the roof. I don't know about other. Well, real estate, Airbnb. But, I mean, is the hotels full? The hotels are going to out. And maybe they're going to be. So maybe we're going to run. I'm talking about COVID cases are going through the roof. Oh, well, that's a whole other story. Yeah, we won't even go into that. I mean, uh, there's other things to worry about. We haven't been talking about COVID on this show for a long time. The variant, you know, if the reopening trade fails, that's going to be ugly for everyone. I don't want that to happen. I want to get back to normal. I want to be out of here. So I don't want to talk about that scenario (laughs) there. All I'm talking about is a scenario where prices are stupid. And prices got stupid in so many of these higher growth names. But prices are also stupid. I believe in some of the names that don't have super high PEs. Hilton's PE is probably not crazy. I just don't see it as like this business that's just going to take off. We might get a little lift from the reopening, but Airbnb is still there. And Airbnb is still kicking ass and taking names. So again, just to sum up this entire thing, it's it's one, maybe have some cash. And two, you you should be rooting for a pullback in the companies that you like, not the ones that you know, in the in the disruptors, in the ones that have a future, not the ones that like high valuation, like story stock. If you still like, it, like Airbnb is a high valuation story stock, so you should be rooting for a pullback in that more so than you should be rooting for a pullback in TripAdvisor or Hyatt, Hilton, Marriott, etc. Darden restaurants I just seen chat right, another one right. Um, that, that that's that that's how I would approach this. I, I never bought Airbnb, and I'm pissed off, and I wish I had. So I am rooting for a pullback. Here. I think you're gonna get another shot. I, I would gladly scoop up some Airbnb shares. Uh, those names, like I feel like an Airbnb, um, is one that I would scoop up if it went significant pullback. To you're not gonna get it at like you know a P a thirty or forty. And they don't make. No. I don't even know if they make money here yet. They but don't. They don't. You can project it out though. I feel like an Airbnb is like one of the growth names that could be like an Amazon, you know, like it's got it's thrown out. Maybe we really get ugly. Maybe we don't. Maybe we just start rallying from here. But I don't want to pay $182. But if Airbnb came down to like 100 bucks, you know, if it got ugly, scenario analysis, not saying it's going to happen because somebody will go say something. Oh, Dennis said Airbnb is going $100. <laughs> I don't know where it's going. But I'm saying if it got down there or even back to the 120 yeah. where it kissed back, you know, back in December. That's the kind of stock that I would buy because I believe in that company and I believe it is a game changer for the entire hotel industry and not in a good way for hotels. So that's why I hate hotel stock. But to I be hated clear, hotel stock before the pandemic, yeah, they, they, they might get full. These hotels might fill up and they're probably going to fill up right now. And everybody's like, oh, the hotels are filling up. That's good news. But you're already paying an all time highs for them. And they're not full right now. So you're you're already speculating that they are going to fill up. So in this specific instance, Dennis is talking about Airbnb, but that's a proxy. It could be anything, right? It could be anything. So how so how would you approach that? Whether it's Airbnb or or insert other stock like Snowflake or insert growth stock that you like that's a little bit pricey right now. How how would you approach that? I don't know. I'm arguing with somebody on Disney because they're saying everybody likes to call out all my bad calls. Yes, I was bearish Disney at 120. Yes, very much so. I didn't understand this was back going to March and April and May. And I didn't understand why Disney was holding up as well because the parks were closed. But if you remember correctly, six months ago, I turned bullish at 130 because I said that the, you know, uh... we got the, the day the vaccine came out. 
I was bullish Disney and I was so upset that I didn't buy, get it long and I was trying to buy it. I had orders out there to buy it at 130 and the, the, the vaccine day when it gapped up back in November. It was November, sorry. It was November. November it gapped to 147. I was hoping it would pull back to get it because one, I do believe in Disney long term. You know, Disney isn't going to be, you know, maybe some of the hotels, but for the, the Disney just does everything right. So if we were going to reopen, if we were going to full reopening, I wanted to be long Disney. Am I buying it at 184? No. If Disney comes back to 160, I will buy it. So, I mean, when you tell a story to everybody in the chat and say, Dennis has been bearish Disney at 120, sure. You know, back in July, August, definitely. I didn't get it. But, you know, once the, the, once the day they said the vaccine is coming out, everything changed. Now, what did I, you know, I was saying that day, you know, like not that day. There was four days later where we pulled back. Remember, Joel? We pulled back. Yeah, I got to charge. And I bought Norwegian Cruise Lines. And I bought Wynn. And I bought, you know, and, and you could go back and listen to the show. I didn't buy it on the day we gapped up. I waited for the pullback. I bought American Airlines. And I bought all these. I couldn't believe what my portfolio looked like with all these reopening stocks. I was like, I hope this vaccine works or I'm going to get crushed. And I've sold out a lot of those names because, you know me, I sell too soon. But um, Disney, too. I would have loved to have Disney then, too. So I turned bullish the day that you know we um we we had the vaccine announcement back in november so the, but the, now these stocks have run so far i mean but but yeah, but then you look and actually some of them started to come off again too so you know is there a buy on some of these at some point in time maybe the whole point is just don't chase stocks and don't think you're not going to get another chance this is not the environment you need to chase your stock so so again i'll, I'll re-ask my question if, assuming you have a list of names that you like whether it's airbnb or not could be whoever how would you approach that going forward you would just wait for a pullback well do you can sit down and crunch the numbers you know do projections my buddy chris banier does this he's an excellent trader excellent investor chris sometimes listen to the show i'll give you a shout out there but you know you're never going to hear of this guy but this guy just quietly makes a lot of money in the background and he tries to buy growth at a reasonable price too he figures it out you know and he's looking at you know, okay, well, if it's growing at this rate, just doing the simple math and it continues to grow at this rate, you know, how much money could this potentially make? And is it reasonable enough to pay the current valuation? I've not done that math on Airbnb. I'll probably give Chris a call because he probably already did it. So why do I need to reinvent the wheel? <laughs> uh, let's say, you know, what is, what's the math that you're showing on Airbnb? Because he crunches it on all the big companies. And is it reasonable? You know, he was the one that, you know, when Apple started taking off seven years ago, we should bring Chris on the show, but when it started taking off, when did Apple really start taking off? Like seven or eight years ago? It was in the gutter for a uh, long time. Well, but people were saying, oh, you can't pay. And he was just projecting it out. And he's like, you know, it, when he got bullish was when they came out, um, not even with the iPhone. So it's all along, going along. It was after iTunes. When they came out with... Uh, um, yeah, it, well, it was the iPhone. Is, is but what... no, he was bullish before that. When they came out with that, um, what was the, the product yeah. before the, the, the iPod? iPhone? The iPod? <laughs> yeah, the, I, the iPod that had all the pictures. Like oh, the, the, I, the iTouch. The, the iTouch yeah, screen. Okay. He's like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. He went out and bought one that day, and he was playing with it and showing it to me. This was like when the iTouch, he like, was like one of the first people to buy it. He's like, this is the coolest thing ever. He's like, this, thing, this was before the iPhone. And he's like, yeah. he was just loaded up on Apple. Like as much like calls, everything, like all in on Apple. And you know what? He probably made his entire life off that. I don't know how much money he made on it, but he probably made his entire life on that. But just, you know, that's the idea is, you know, you find the product and you're like, okay, well, this is, you know, the future. It really is. You really believe in it, but don't pay ridiculous prices for it either. So he's crunching numbers and saying, you know, they could eventually get to this. 
and then they'd be making a lot of money. And we're talking when Apple's probably on a split adjusted basis at about five bucks. So now you're looking at an Apple 126, you know, and he was the same thing with MasterCard. He gave me MasterCard back in 2010, just doing projections and saying, you know, this company can make this. My average cost basis, I bought it just off of Chris's recommendations. So thank you, Chris. My average cost basis on MasterCard is $11. It's 362. I'm averaging at 11 bucks. So, I mean, long-term investing on good companies can work, but you got to have, you know, reason for it. So you got to do the numbers on Airbnb and can it get to that level where the valuation makes sense? If it can't, you don't touch it. If it can, you do. So we didn't have to do any of this stuff in the last year because valuation hasn't mattered. I'm telling you, you got to do this homework now because valuation going forward is likely to continue to matter. Do we want to do the, uh, the Kathy ETF before, yeah, we, yeah. Uh, before we bring on Joel? Oh, yeah, let's do it quickly here. I, I'll bring up my screen. You can see if you didn't see it by now, there are the holdings as of uh, this is as of today, I guess, as the fund is 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 going live today. So I saw some couple things online speculations that this these were just placeholders because there's they know that people know that there's no cash in this fund. Um, so some of these are going to change. People think, I don't know. We'll find out when it launches, but a couple of weird things. Obviously there's a lot of e-commerce in here, which is strange. JD's in here. Alibaba's in here. Amazon's in here. Netflix is in here. That's weird. And the space fund. I'll get there. John Deere is in here, which is strange. Workhorse is in here. And then the creme de la creme for the weirdness. If it's not Netflix, it's number two right there. PRNT, the number two holding in the fund is their own, uh, their own passive, uh, 3D printing fund, which is strange. So a, a bit, a, a bit of arcception happening within the arc universe here. An arc within an arc. Did she uh, release this? This is what she released. This is what they released. Okay. Uh, so these holdings are so small. Like I'm looking at something's not I right know, though. I... Something's not right here because you look. Okay, she's got 52 shares of Google, but that's 106 thousand dollars. She got 300 shares of Deer. Three hundred. I guess. I guess we are at that point in time. I guess three hundred. Deer is three hundred sixty-four dollars. But anyways, so she's gonna load. So is she gonna be buying in these weights going forward? Like this is a small amount of money. So right. you're right. not talking a big amount of money here. Right. So when she's only got three hundred shares or fifty-two shares of Google, so maybe these weights are gonna change significantly. So are we gonna see a huge uh, buys in all these stocks today? When this goes live, I, I'm not totally clear on how the fun the fund launch process works. Maybe maybe, maybe Joel Kalina knows. Uh, maybe not. But uh, they, you know, funds launch with money. It's not like they launch with nothing. They already have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They already have assets, so they would have had to already go and buy. Is is how I understand it. But again, I'm not an expert in the fund launching process. Um, I think it was not it was not so much playing the that they would have had to already buy or that they're going to buy. It's hey, they're going to like in the future, they're going to keep buying, right? Like, like this is, yeah, like, it's basically like a Kathy endorsement or not. Like, in the case of Maxar, right? MAXR, which is not on this list. It's like, yeah, that's a weird one not it, to be it, there. It's, it's like an endorsement or it's not. It's kind of, it's how I think that the market sees it. It's not, they're not looking at this, oh, like trying to front run or chase Kathy. It's like, oh, Kathy believes in this. Oh, Kathy doesn't believe in this. It's kind of, I'm going to, I'm going to steal one from uh, Vegas here. Is uh, Spacely Sprockets on the list? What? Nah, you guys are too young to know what that is. Sorry. Sorry, Joel. Spacely Sprockets, Flintstones, Mr. Spacely. Oh, well, Mr. Spacely, I wouldn't know. Or was that Jetsons? Jetsons. 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 Which one was it? Jetsons. Jetsons. It's got to be yeah. Jetsons. I, there yeah. was a space in the Flintstones. Yeah, what am I thinking, Flintstones? Prehistoric. It's I'm, thinking about, I'm thinking about Mr. Slate. Come on. Yeah. 
and the dog Astro. Let's bring on Joel Clean on the head of technology and media trading at Whitebird Securities. Joel, yeah, you messed that up. Uh, Joel, you messed it up. What's up, Joel? Oh, the Joel. Hey, good, morning. good morning, guys. Uh, do you have anything to add on the Flintstones Jetsons uh, snafu? Oh uh, yeah, I mean that's a, that's an error by Joel. It's it's hundred percent Jetsons. He did correct himself. Uh, I love the Flintstones though. I love the I love Barney Rubble. Go ahead. So yeah, that was definitely Jetson, Jetsons, and and a fitting way to with with the Kathy Wood space ETF. As you said, it, the the sizes look extremely small in terms of uh, you know how much money is being you know at least implemented to kick off this ETF. But I mean, baffling to say the least. And uh, you know, had a lot of comical conversations with with, with some of my clients yesterday as you guys just kind of ran through some of the, the holdings of this and it's, it's baffling to say the least. And, and this kind of adds another bizarre element to the Kathy Wood story. You know, clearly she, she was a superstar going back 18 to 24 months and it's, it's, you know, unraveling a little bit, you know, she, she was a hero on momentum, disruptive tech, and clearly the market has, has been telling us a completely different story over the past, you know, three to four months. Wait, well, so we, we didn't really go into it, but what are what about some of these holdings? I mean, she's got deer in the space ETF. I'm trying to put it together. I guess there's going to be farming on Mars maybe one day. Is this where <laughs> I, I, I think she's really thinking outside the box here? But I don't understand why we need tractors in space. Potentially, then Netflix, right? Netflix has a few movies about outer space, so maybe <laughs> oh, there, there's a connection there. Yeah, Jamie, wait, wait. the Jetsons on that. No, no, but I have a serious question. Uh, Joel, is uh, you know we know to the small size and some of these positions is that is that a reflection of the assets that arc has raised for the funds launch i believe i believe so i'm not 100 percent sure and I'm, I'm definitely not uh i, I can't you know yeah. say I'm, I'm very well read on her process as well and okay. when she initially launches an etf okay. with suite so i can't kind of speak to that but it seems like those are the horses she's going with uh in the near term um and kind of she'll continue to kind of back those names and and, and probably adjust as maybe you know, new new kind of names, you know, come public or 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 whatnot. But that's kind of uh, just seems like the, the starting point. What what do you make of the the arcception thing, the the print three D printing? Like you know, Netflix is whatever. We can all make fun of that, but I'm sure you could you can make an argument for anything, right? Uh, but the three D printing thing, the arc fund within the arc fund. Um, what do you make of that? I mean, I, that's the thing. It's it's all of this is very baffling. And and like I said, I probably that 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 name and that holding specifically came up, you know, probably two or three times in, in, in a couple of conversations yesterday. And people are trying to figure out what what is actually her strategy moving forward. I mean, we clearly that the, the, her her family of ETS has seen outflows in, in over the past kind of several months. And and the and the ongoing, you know, takeaways just been a lot of head scratching right like she's selling her large mega cap names the higher quality names the taiwan semis alphabet nxpis yeah to kind of buy more as you mentioned earlier in the show teladocs the squares the tesla the bitcoin the zooms i mean these are broken charts i mean zoom is is beyond broke you know a great story stock from 2020 it's just not going to work in 2021 and and, the, and we still have three quarters left i just don't see and, and we're yet to even face the the massive comps from, from covid uh, no so, way they're going to meet those comps. There's no, absolute. I mean, it's going to be impossible comparisons from everyone was signing up for Zoom, you know, uh, a year ago. Yeah, but uh, the market knows that, doesn't it? I mean, we're not that. Yeah, that's why they're taking it down. Yeah, and that's why every every rally gets sold. Almost, you know, rallies are, are becoming a lot more shorter lived uh, than ever before in a lot of her stocks. And and again, with look at the ten year again. You know, we had, you know t touched one seven seven earlier this morning. 
You have Biden making his big spending speech tomorrow. So that's obviously, you know, putting upward pressure on yields uh, once again overnight. Um, there's just really no appetite for any of these stocks, which honestly makes me think we're getting close. You can start dipping your toes into the higher quality names. You guys mentioned Snowflake earlier in the show. I think you can look for good management teams, high quality businesses. Um, but man, like you look at names like Unity or, or, or AI, uh, you know, Tom Seibel, you know, is, is recently launched IPO. The stock was, you know, I think it debuted at 100 times sales, hit almost 100, you know, $200, and now it's trading in the 60s. Um, you're just, it's amazing the lack of a bid towards any of these names, which does make me think we are probably getting close to the bottom for some of them. But the story stocks, the Pelotons, the Zooms, you know, these names just massively outperformed in 20. I don't think you, I wouldn't touch these with a 10 foot pole, not right now, unless the tape tells us something differently. I'd rather buy them when the momentum starts going going the other way. Joel, right. Go ahead. No, no, you go. Go for We're it. We're on the line with Joel Kalina, head of trading, media trading with uh, Wed Bush Technologies. Huh. What a day to have you on. Let's talk about the fallout in uh, Viacom and uh, Discovery and that sector. I know you were sending uh, you know notes around earlier in the week. I mean, are these Saints just going to bounce right back? Is this like, you know, Viacom, 100 bucks last week, you know, two-for-one stock split. Are these Saints going to settle in and go back up, or is, uh, is the story over? And just get your take on these, like, these block trades, these institutional trades, when they're going through, the preparation that the house is doing uh, in front of those trades. Well, I, I mean, clearly the, the prime brokers of the family office, you know, uh, of Billy Wang just – Talk about, you know, lack of risk management, to say the least. Um, and I know the brokers got together, you know, last week. And there was a few that were ahead of the curve. You know, Goldman and Morgan Stanley, it, it looks like they were selling these blocks of stock during their conference call with the other brokers. I mean, their losses are reported to be very minimal. And then here you have, you know, Credit Suisse staring at a $7 billion loss, wiping out two years of profit. You know, Nomura is staring at a massive loss. Deutsche as well. I thought they got out of the equities game and, and even prime brokerage services a little bit. And Deutsche is going to take a hit as well. I mean, this is bizarre. I mean, obviously, it really mirrors what we kind of saw in 2007 uh, on the uh, on kind of the subprime side of things. It's just kind of scary how this is really the second kind of catastrophic event. You know, I say that with, you know, obviously, it's not a natural disaster by any means. But a second big blow up within the you know the finance community about you know hedge funds that have gotten too levered up in concentrated positions in crowded positions as well. And when things go wrong, you know there's just there's no way to get out. And I think Viacom the trigger the trigger for Viacom was clearly that the three billion dollar share offering uh, yeah. that was announced last week. And and there's only one good trader you know of this whole thing, and it's been this the CFO of Viacom. Fair play to him. You know, the stock was definitely at a, a level where it shouldn't have been from fundamentals. And he took advantage of it and and and, and sold $3 billion worth of stock around 85 bucks. Joe, Joe, don't you feel a little vindicated? Because I was reading your notes all the way up and you were just as baffled as, as, as me. Like, no one understands why Viacom and Discovery and even Fox are going up. And what that we don't get it. Yeah. And now now we get it. <laughs> So. Yeah, exactly. Now, now we get it. And sometimes that's, it's after the fact. I mean, I heard of a lot of conversations over the past month and I was calling up guys, you know, some of the larger kind of mutual funds and, and really just kind of understand what, what is going on? What are you seeing? And, and really it, people mostly thought it was due to passive inflows and just kind of, it, or big sector, more rotation driven, right. With, you know, yeah. into value out of growth. Well. And cause everyone knew discovery and Viacom both held their separate streaming events. 
and they're not revolutionary. They're not going to be game changers by any means. Right. So if, to see these stocks go from 30 to 40 to 50, then, you know, obviously then the big gap up. Now we know why. So are these stocks going to go higher from here? I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't touch them because you still look at the streaming landscape. You have Disney and Netflix, hands down the top two. And there's going to be so many players at the bottom, um, and which you're going to think their services are going to continue to face significant churn on a quarterly basis as people flip flop between, you know, Paramount Plus or Discovery or HBO Max, you know, but everyone's going to have the Disney Plus and Netflix in, on kind of their um, in their family kind of rotation. And the others are just going to be, you know, at the mercy of whatever, you know, the sentiment is that given month for, for a household. So I don't see them as real players. I'm still pretty negative on old media. Um, and, and, and again, a lot of people were wrong. But at least the shorts finally got a little bit of a get out of jail free card here with with the pullback in Viacom. All right, a couple more quick things for you. Uh, as far as this global semiconductor shortage, can you real quickly talk, tell us who is sort of like at ground zero of this? What would be the best way to play that? Yeah, I mean the the, the bulk of the issues have been in the automotive industry, which everyone knows by now. It still feels like on a daily basis you have one auto OEM coming out and and, and talking about a plant stoppage for one or two weeks and then you had a, a plant fire at one of the world's, I think number two or three auto supplier, you know, Renaissance uh, out of Japan. So that's kind of adding, you know, more kind of headaches to it. Yeah, the, you know, the big, you know, uh, Austin, uh, sorry, Texas weather disruption in February, which kind of knocked off, you know, fabs for Samsung, NXPI and Infineon. So the automotive sectors has gotten crunched. You had Neo was the first Chinese kind of EV play to come out and kind of highlight these shortages are going to impact their production. So that's kind of an issue there. Um, then you have Foxconn this morning. I haven't read too much about it. Uh, we're trying to get some more checks from the ground. So Foxconn, obviously a huge supplier to Apple. They're out there warning, saying these shortages are going to impact a lot more than just automotive. They could linger down to the, you know, through smartphones, through PC chains. So that's something to keep an eye on to me. Uh, for me. But one thing I do know is that you know, continued supply tightness, it bodes well for pricing. And it bodes well for margins. So uh, whether it's you know the, the PC makers all had a big move overnight, uh, so it's going to benefit you know really the, the the names like Infineon, Texas Instruments, and really who I love is a semi trade. I mean it's it's a very simple, straightforward thesis: the semi equipment players. And this follows you know Intel's big kind of capex plans announced last week. They're the arms dealers for for the global race for dominance in AI and 5G. Um, you can see continued uh, you know, migration to more advanced nodes uh, from five nanometer, Taiwan semis going to four and three nanometer, um, increasing chip complexity, uh, lifting hand, 5G handset builds. To me, semi-equipment is where you want to be. Um, and especially as Intel, you know, I don't know if I'd you know, buy Intel here because I still think it's an execution story, but you, know, you, could, you can invest in applied materials as, as, and get paid that way and see if Intel actually succeeds. Um, you know, because AMAT will make money regardless uh, if Intel becomes a real foundry player or not. All right. I just had to put down my thesaurus there when you were talking about the chip stocks. But uh, I just before we let you go, I mean, if you just tuned into this show, you were listening to us at the top of the show, you'd be like, man, these guys are the biggest bears on Wall Street. And not so much you, Joel, but, you know, they're talking about risk in the market. And here we are sitting 30, you know, new all-time closing high a few days ago, 30 points off the all-time high. Who cares about, you know, the 10-year yield? I mean, what, you know, we're just hanging, we're hanging up here and the path of least resistance is still higher. Do you see any other event? I mean, you had the Suez Canal blockage. Do you, what do you see, you know, 
anything that like another catalyst, something that, or is it just going to be this kind of grinding higher effect until we have some kind of can I, catastrophe? Can I, go out, can I go out on the limb, like real conspiracy theorists a little bit? Which is oh the, yes, this is know, a little, little, little Come show. on, Joel. Is <laughs> it's gaining a lot more attention in the press. And so you can you can Google it and, and, and pick up some articles. I think the F, FT had a very good article yesterday or Sunday about how there's increasing concern that China may really strong, strong arm their way into Taiwan. Um, there's been a couple of conflicts in, in, in terms of, you know, uh, their air forces. Um, that's something to keep an eye on. And from what I'm reading, that that's increasing concern from not just the U.S., but from Japan about a conflict truly breaking out. We all know that China has been very vocal about you know, becoming uh, more advanced and more of a dominant player in, in terms of global technology leadership. Well, where are all the, all the fabs sitting? You know, Taiwan Semi, the world's probably you know, the best chip manufacturer on planet Earth is sitting in Taiwan. And then you also have you know, United Micro, you know, UMC as well. I mean, hmm. not too far away, they could, they could really make one major land grab and become a, t- a dominant tech player but obviously it would turn the world upside down in terms of a, a geopolitical event. So that's one thing to keep an eye on. Uh, that's out there a little bit, but you're right. The VIX at 21 feels really off. S&P just off the highs feels off. Something's going on here. Uh, and maybe it's it's just been the rotation uh, into the large caps. Look at tech, right? Alphabet's been a big alpha performer year date. Facebook's been acting great. Um, you know, Amazon and, and Apple have had decent haircuts off their highs, but have been holding in relatively well within tech given the pullbacks. And maybe that's what's supporting the indices. So if that large cap, you know, bid kind of dissipates, I think that could be the risk to the to the indices. But that's again another thing that comes up in conversations is is how the markets held in as well they had despite all these kind of bizarro headlines that continue to hit, which seems like now every two to three weeks here in 2021. All right, Joel Kalina is the head of technology and media trading at Wedbush Securities. Joel, always appreciate your time. Thanks a lot, sir. No, Thanks, guys. Paul. Yeah, it's been a long time. We'll get you back on again real soon. That was excellent content. I love it. All right, guys. Take care. All right. Uh, age 51 here. Got about nine minutes before the top of the hour. I want to hit on PayPal quickly. They had uh, actually two days in a row now. We've got some some like real-world crypto news. The other day was Visa. or may, That may have been Friday now. I don't remember. Uh, anyway, PayPal this morning announced that they're going to allow customers in the U.S., to buy stuff uh, from online businesses using crypto. And it's a pilot program that's going to start in the coming months. And then you can convert those crypto holdings into U.S. dollars or some sort of other currency at checkout. So a pilot crypto program from PayPal talking about the practical uses of Bitcoin. This is one of them. Is cool headline if it was three months ago. Nothing burger in this market because we're not that excited about these headlines here now. Uh, this this chart, not that we're gonna get all patterny with you, but this is a head and shoulders. If I've ever seen a head and shoulders, Joel, look at the left shoulder from December and January. The head yep. up in February. The right shoulder is perfectly formed here in March. This thing loses the neckline, which is two. What's the call it? We could call it two twenty. This thing loses two twenty. This thing could be one eighty. So I. It's holding up. That's the good news. You need it to continue to hold up, even the 227 low. If I was along this thing right now, I wouldn't want to take out the 227 low from three days ago. That would be my bogey. So I see it up here at $1.43 on the exciting headline about the Bitcoin. I just don't think there's a lot of people that are that interested in this headline. Yeah. I would be surprised this gives it back. 
225 was your low in January. 223 you pierced that. So this is called 224. Uh, under that, your next monthly low is uh, is 206.65. Uh, we see a lot of monthly charts like this, but they they could always do what uh, what Tesla's doing, and that that's buy one and then pay pay for one more. Just double charge. <laughs> well, we didn't even talk about that. No, we did I mean, no, how does this occur? So give us what happened, Spencer, and then we can try to possibly come up with some in scenario where this is, is allowed to happen. I mean, that's basically it, right? CMEC found some people who apparently had been charged twice by Tesla for the same car. Yeah, so I and I think it was that they obviously authorized they took the money out of the account, but then a few days later they took the money out of the account again. So they took it twice. So I don't know if this is a deposit or what it is, but anyway, some people apparently paid twice for their Tesla. So I man, like you were saying Mitch is a technology company. Well, they're not being very technically savvy here. So I, I I don't know. This is just a, well. What's, a, that, that's a pure disaster. Let's, if, let's that, think, if that gets legs, logically, let's think about this logically. If you're Tesla, and you know, how do you get these bookings? How do you actually? <laughs> I mean, come on now. <laughs> you're saying they do this? No, we're just joking. They didn't do it intentionally. It's a screw up. I mean, it's a screw up. But this, you know, there's been a few screw ups here and there. The story continues to has continued to carry the stock though. The thing is just so bloody tired, though. I mean, we're 598 here now. It looks like inevitably it wants to retest the 539 low from the beginning of March. And obviously, you know, there's going to be some support there. So we'll see what it does there. It looks to me like it wants to lose 600. Looks like it wants to lose it today. We'll see what happens with the overall market. I mean, if we start to go all hungry for growth, this will be the stock that leads the charge back. Is there going to be Kathy buying this hand over fist now that she's allowed to buy more of it, apparently, with her uh, the way she's changed her wording in her prospectuses? Um, maybe, but if you're relying just on Kathy Woods in this story, it's tough. So there's been a lot of easy money made in Tesla. That easy money is not being made anymore. The trend is still your friend, though. It's held up a lot better Ooh, than a lot right. of other growth names. That five, that that monthly low that we touched, that five forty. I talked about that before. That was also your low back in December. That is, you know, S and P ad people that bought it after the split. I mean, if that's not a clear, you mentioned four hundred, you know, but look at that five forty. I mean, that's fifty bucks away. And even like you said, even on these pops, I mean, that thing. Has been getting sold, so we'll. Uh, but they're buying a lot of Bitcoin, so maybe that's going to help them out. Didn't he buy another bunch of big, big chunk of Bitcoin for the company? I, uh, I don't know about that, but can I tell you the best nugget in the CNBC story? The best nugget was that they talked to this one guy, and he said, "Yeah, Tesla told me they're going to come and de- deliver my car between nine a.m. and midnight." <laughs> Well, talk about, a win- talk about a window. Give you a window. We talk got the right day. Yeah. We, we we see your five hour window, Comcast, and we raise you the whole day, nine a.m. and midnight. Jesus. Anyway, I just thought that was hilarious. I, the um, one thing I, you know, and everybody just talks, you know, and obviously, you know, I've never understood the valuation there, but the cars are cool, but they're not flashy. I mean, in it's not like when when I looked at you know my buddies, and I don't know which one he's got the model. What, what what's the different models that he's got the there's the S, the three, the X, and the Y. He's got this one souped up like the 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 
the S, I think it is, or maybe it's a three. Anyways, the, the three is souped up. There's not much in there, you know, like in the inside the cars, like in the dash and stuff. It's like it looks like it's got an iPad there, like sitting there. And is that, is that what Raz is looking? Raz around? We should get Raz sometime. But you know, when you're in there, Joel, it's, it looks like it's got the iPad, you know, for the dashboard kind of. And I'm like in the car, and and he paid like eighty one thousand dollars for this car. And I'm like, it is super fast. Like when you're driving it, like, wow, this thing's awesome, you know, to drive. How many like, kilometers does it go? How what? many kilometers? How fast in kilometers? Uh, it goes zero to 60. So zero to 60 miles an hour in 3.1 seconds. Okay. So, I mean, the thing is phenomenally fast. Um, you know, it felt like he hit it and it felt like a rocket ship. Like, I mean, I was really impressed with the, that. But but it's looking, I kind of expected more when I was in it. Like I was expecting more flash and it was kind of plain. And, you know, maybe that's what it, you know, but when you're buying an $80,000 car, that's a lot of money. I mean, this is Canada, right? So 60000 or 65000 US. When you're when you're buying that and spending that kind of money, you want some flash. But I know how everybody's been so impressed with the cars. I just, I don't know. I wasn't as impressed. But that's not to say, you know, nothing about, you know, I'm still impressed with the, the technology. And obviously, you know, they, they're leading the front in EV. And I still believe Tesla's going to be the leader, one of the leaders in EV. I just can't wrap my head around the valuation. That's why I'm on stock. Next. Sorry, I had to uh, make a quick phone call for our next guest. Um, <laughs> no, no. I'm making phone calls during my segment. He's the yeah. phone screener. He's yeah. the producer. And he does it all. Spencer yeah, does wait, it wait, all. Wait, wait, wait. No, I wanted to add, uh, you, you, we talked about PayPal. You know what chart looks identical to PayPal is this Activision chart. And their CEO announced he's leaving uh, suddenly. And that Activision chart looks identical. Talking about head and shoulders. APVI looks identical to PayPal. I thought. I'd sell it. I'd sell it too. Um, I already Bobby did Coded? sell it. I shouldn't say I'd sell it. I already did sell it. <laughs> I took the Michael Pactor run. He said it was a double at 50. It did. It doubled. Michael Pactor win. Out. So I, I, the gaming stocks are still good, but you're right. I don't like the chart there. 95 major resistance. It's getting a little lift here this morning. I think it's an opportunity to get out the only game. I still take two. I held on to that one. And I still have Zynga. Those are the two gaming stocks. I still like gaming going forward. I still, and the Zynga doesn't look as great as it did once. And, you know, it's been cricket since the Glue Mobile acquisition. Maybe we're not in this huge M&A environment here. I, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm torn on the Zynga. It's right where I bought it. The, the chart doesn't look good here. There's so many head and shoulders. Man, I don't even like pattern trading. I don't really <laughs> even like technicals, to be honest with you that much. But, man, all these head and shoulders are, like, foreshadowing something here, Joel. I don't know. I don't want to make too many comments on that. I, I, I don't know either. I'm still in Zynga. I'm still in Take Two. I still want some exposure. You got to have some exposure to where you feel like, you know, there's some growth still. I still think e gaming, you know, the esports. I still like, I still want some exposure to the stuff, but I'm not all in on growth. I'm not all in on story right now. I'm all in on cash. <laughs> so that's kind of where I'm sitting. Story a lot of like, these. Mitch, 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 we haven't seen you in so long. My dad on, says. Man. He misses you, man. He misses oh, you. My dad. He used hey. to come on more on our show, and now he's got to go watch you on Spax Attack. He doesn't come on our show. He's like, where is Mitch? I'm like, we got to watch Spax Attack more at 11. Because my dad says he misses you. Much love. <laughs> much love out there. Much love for <laughs> sure. Um, one chart that I wanted to take a look at, and it's uh, uh, something that I've seen pulled back massively, is Zillow. That's interesting. So it's down to 119. It had a high 208. So it's kind of interesting. It's almost back down almost 50% from the highs. Yeah. 
quickly. You know what? Uh, just Gene loves Baby this stock. Baby thrown out the bathwater here? Yeah, Gene loves this stock. He thinks that mm. this is the future, so keep an eye on that. But uh, how bad? You know. I haven't done the numbers on this either. Um, so you know, obviously, I don't see any earnings at all. So you know, you can't just quick grab a PE type deal. You got to look at growth, and you know, maybe there's some projected earnings here. Do you have earnings going forward? I know it's a thirty billion dollar company still, which is something to consider. Um, I, I I like the story too. I've always liked the story in Zillow. So I just never wrap my head around the valuation. But maybe it gets to a point here where you can wrap your head around the valuation. I think that's what, you know, and Mitch, I think that's a good point. Just, um, you know, you got these storied stocks and story still matters, but you got to get the story at a reasonable price. So if you can come in and find your storied stock now at a reasonable price, maybe you do start nibbling in on some of the growth names. If they got the growth and it's a reasonable price. I mean, that's why Facebook, you know, has still, you know, been yeah, all-time highs. Yep. And we talk it's and Google, same thing. I mean, Google gets an upgrade today, full disclosure. I'm long Google, all in on Google. Um, you know, you look at this and you're like, okay, well, the thing's trading 20 times forward earnings. It's got growth. They still are an awesome company here. And, you know, Facebook's, you know, maybe you know the legacy isn't as good, but they got so much other things with the Instagram and so many other businesses here. I mean, there is still growth at a reasonable price out there. Maybe Zillow can fit that bill too. Uh, let me do the numbers. You know, I'll crunch the numbers or call my buddy Chris and figure out if there's something there too. But I like the Zillow story. So if it gets down to a reasonable price, I could get I could get down dirty with you. All right. Before All right. I know Spencer, I know you got your guests yeah. coming, but I I do have some breaking news. Oh boy. Uh, Kathy is not putting uh, space lease sprockets into her ETF. Damn. No. She's what? Go- what are they she's- thinking over there? Because she's going with Cogswell's Cogs. What is that? I'm sorry. It's the main business in Orbit City that oh, rivals talking Spacey Sprockets. <laughs> he gets going, man. My buddy that... DP sent me that one. Cogswell Cogs. You don't remember that? It's Spacely Sprockets, our main competitor. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, um, Bueller. Um, Crickets. Bueller. Bueller. <laughs> we got to get some pro- transparent traders. Black box trading gave us 100 bucks. All right. Big All right. Tip there. Okay. I didn't even notice it. Get the tip bell. I the tip I, bell. Thanks, ding ding. For that. Ding ding ding. Ding ding. There we go. All right. Yeah. I'm, I'm thank you. Cast. Thank you. Thank you. All right. You didn't give us a ticker. We did your ticker for this, 100 this bucks. Not off the rails. I'm going to try to bring it back. Uh, Jay Young is the president and CEO of King Operation Corporation, joining us now for the first, for the first time on Pre Market Prep. Jay, good morning. Oh no, you're on mute. Turn up, turn your little microphone icon on on the bottom of the screen there, and then we'll be we should be able to hear you. Yeah, maybe that's better. That is better. How are we doing this morning? Hey, I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. All right. Let's let's pivot here. We were just talking about uh, technology. Let's get away from that. Let's go to energy. Uh, and and I wanted to talk to you a couple of days ago, and then between the time uh, that happened and now. The Suez Canal is freed, so I, I you know, I was going to ask you about that, but it seems like we're going back to normal there. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I mean, they, they said, I think it was Friday afternoon, Saturday, they were saying that rising tides, you know, up there, and, and I was thinking rising tides lift all boats, and yeah. obviously, obviously it did. All right, so we've been talking a lot about, uh, on today's show about returning to fundamentals, uh, about uh, stocks and sectors, you know, pricing in uh, 
that that we're all the way done with this pandemic and going back to their pre-pandemic levels. At this point, where where do you feel the energy market is is priced at as as it relates to the pandemic? Are, are, is the market pricing in the fact that we're all the way done with this thing, or 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 not? So that's a great question, and and you know my family's been in this business for a hundred years, and my dad just swore to me to never get in this business because because of cycles and these cycles are horrendous, you know, and, and I, what my thought is, is going forward, you're going to see between 60 to $80 oil. Why do you see 60 to 80 bucks? Well, you know, when it goes to 80 Saudi Arabia, Russia, are going to start throwing oil on the market to lower the price. They're not going to allow the big, the big money, like the private equity funds and all the deals before, because you saw a lot of private equity companies, a lot of public companies, Drilling, drilling, drilling. Yeah. Our production went up to 13 million. They're not going to allow that anymore. And the way they 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 know to manipulate the markets now is to throw a lot of oil in the market. You know, pre-pandemic, Saudi Arabia, Russia were selling oil at half price to sell oil to, to oversupply us, which they did. And then the pandemic happened, and then we saw oil go minus, you know, for right. a, a short time. But but that's what they're going to do. I don't think I don't think they're going. They need to make money. They're in the business to make money. That's how they make their money, as a matter of fact, by exporting oil and selling oil. So when it goes too high, they're going to throw oil on the market. When it goes too low, they'll, they'll take some off. But they need to see 60 to $80 oil. And that's my thought going forward. But what about, like, the return of demand? Uh, you know, we're seeing uh, deliveries, you know, from the EIA go up on a week-over-week basis. You know, demand is coming back, uh, you know. I'm sure uh, ethanol producers are happy and reading about, you know, the price of corn as demand goes up and so we need more supply. D- demand is recovering, is it not? It is, it is recovering and it will do that sh- uh, shortly, but it's not. Don't forget, though, we need 20 million barrels plus a day in U.S. oil production. That's our U.S. appetite, 20 million. And we're only producing right now 10. You know, so we still need foreign oil. So the, the big challenge there is how much do we need from these, you know, countries like Saudi Arabia and Russia. So, but you are seeing demand coming back and it will continue to come back and we're not producing as much. Look at rig count. Rig count's way down. When rig count's down, we're not making as much oil. Wells de- decline in production. They may be producing 50% of what they started out in the very beginning. So it's going to go down. And as you see the supply go down and our demand goes up, you're going to see, and the only thing that I can see, because I, I mean, you know, I, I was on Jimbo Hannon the other night and I was thinking about it and I was going, man, you know what? I don't see any reason why we're not seeing $100 oil. But when you think about it psychologically from these huge, these huge countries like Saudi Arabia and Russia, they don't want it to go to 100. So I believe they'll start bringing a lot more oil into our uh, camps and, and offsetting our U.S. like, Putin said the other day in, in the Financial Times, he said, he said, I'll replace every barrel of oil that Biden doesn't produce in the United States. What, what about like from other sources, like the Gulf, for example, or Gulf of Mexico? Is what I mean. Sure. Yeah, Gulf of Mexico is a great place to drill. There's a lot of production off, offshore. You'll see more drilling there. Now, a lot of the federal grants and the permits and things that Biden is, is not allowing, like New Mexico for the Permian Basin. There's a lot of oil out there that he's not allowing to produce. And what happens when you don't produce that oil and we don't have it, 
that and, and our demand continues to go up, you're going to see a shortage. You know, I just don't, I don't want to be overly optimistic. And I, we have an oil and gas company, King Operating, and we, we drill for oil and gas and we have funds for investors and such. And I don't want to price our projects or think that the price will go to a hundred because that's one of the worst things that we can do when we're looking at a prospect. So I don't be overly optimistic. What do they say? I forget, uh, expect the worst or, or plan for the best. Or, uh, yeah. Plan for the best. No, expect the worst, plan for the best. Something there you like go. That. Hey, that's it. That's, it. <laughs> yeah. Like that. yeah. And I, that's why we're, we're putting in $60 in a, as a futures price. You know, I mean, our projects make sense at $20, $40 a barrel, but I don't want to go, Hey, I'm so overly optimistic that I'm going to go out here and been there, been there, done that. Well, it sounds like you're not. It sounds like you're not. Opt- it sounds like you're at best cautiously optimistic is, is, is what it sounds like. Exactly. Exactly. Like I said, our family's been in it for a hundred years and we've seen the ups and downs and, and uh, you know, I don't, I, I, I am very optimistic. We're putting together our funds for a three to five year exit before we get to green. Okay. Now, I always say greener, not green. We're not going green. We're all going greener because of uh, all of the different, cars and things they just just talked about a minute ago but but you know that before all that happens i'd like to have a big a big sell on our oil and gas assets here we go from the chat plan for the worst and hope for the best you and i butchered that but that's the, that's the uh that's the statement here yeah. uh so so by and large like you you, you said oil between 60 and 80 we're at 60 so and and that's where you see this going staying in this range indefinitely you know, for the next few years until, you know, I see peak demand in five years, 10 years, you know, something out. So I don't really, I don't really, I can see 60 now. I mean, look, Saudi Arabia, Russia, they didn't, they didn't flood our market with half price oil just because they wanted to, you know, give away oil. They, they don't give away things. They want to make money. Yeah, so right. I believe that, that they're going to shut back, which they already have. They'll shut back our oil production to the United States. We're not producing as much. They, they probably have thirty people over there in the in the in the offices, and they're all thinking about every oil that we produce in the United States, and and what we're doing to produce oil, how we produce oil, how much is coming in. They know exactly where we are, and so I, I just feel like supply and demand, which is the reason why price does go up and down, you know, and that's they're they're going to keep it there. They they need to make money, but they don't want it. They don't want to make too much money. They don't want to go to $100 oil because they know at that point there's a lot of PE firms, you know, that that have said before they're not getting the old business. Well, at $100 a barrel, there's too many things that look good. So they they don't want to get out of the business at $100 oil. They'll come back in. And Saudi Arabia, Russia, they they've got too much oil and too much money to to allow it to go to 100. But they still need to make money. That's why I feel like 60 is a good bottom. Jay, what do you make? I, I know you're, you know, more of an oil guy, but what do you make of the like the run that like energy sector, which was so out of favor for so long? Yeah, it had maybe not in the last week or so, but like this year, the first few months of the year at least, I mean, energy just went on this huge run. What do you make of that? Well, it's all about price and demand. We're we're still having a hangover, if you will, from from all the stuff that happened during the pandemic. I mean, man. I mean, there wasn't anybody driving any cars. There wasn't airplanes. There wasn't, I mean, our demand just went way, way, way down. Now, 
40% of a barrel of oil is for transportation. So 60% is for things such as your glasses, things such as the board behind you. You know, there are a lot of different uses for oil. So we still need demand. But when you take away the top of it and, and we're not producing as much, if you see, I mean, our production went from 13 million barrels a day in the United States to 12 to 11. And a lot of that, that big production increase from five to 13 million in 10 years has come from Shell, S-H-A-L-E, Shell wells that, that decline in production. They, they decline rapidly and they're going to continue to do so. So if we're not replacing that oil, we have a problem with our, our supply in the United States. But when the big demand came and we're having this hangover from all the, man, we're producing so much oil. There was tankers off the coast of Hawaii and New York with all this oil and oil's everywhere. Well, then that, that was really the oversupply that we had. And now you're seeing it come back. And I believe that we're, we're equaling it out. As I mentioned, you have a lot of people in these foreign countries that have all the stats and all the exactly how much oil we're producing in the United States to how much they need to give us and not give us. And, and they're going to keep that all tight. It's going to be tight. I should note that we do have an OPEC meeting. Was it tomorrow? Is it tomorrow or no Thursday? The first, yeah. right? There is no. Is yeah. there any um, any developments that you expect to come out of that? Any any, any tradable events you think to come out of that or not? Or not really? I don't think there's going to be anything yeah. major except for you know that they're going to cut production and, and they're going to see where we are today. Okay. Like I mentioned, all the big money's out of the oil and gas game right now, so you're not seeing the rig count go up. Yeah. And as soon as you see the rig count. You know, start Scott. I mean, we're up four four rigs this week, I believe, uh, nine the week before. You know, we still need three or four hundred to get back to where we were pre-pandemic. So, um, but I don't think there's anything anything major that's going to come up besides just tightening up and okay. them watching them watching over us because that's they're 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 pulling the strings, if you will, and I believe they're going to pull the strings a lot tighter than they ever have because. They allowed this hundred dollars, hundred twenty. They got the hundred forty-seven dollars a barrel at one time, and it, will it ever go back there? I don't see it now. Do I hope? I hope for our investors. That's because I mean, our investors' tax income or tax benefits, monthly income, multiple on their investment in our funds when we develop and divest. I hope for them, but I just I'm very cautious to say that we'll see that big run to hundred to hundred and twenty or hundred forty because of things like the OPEC meeting and them watching over how much oil we're producing. And if we're tightening up in the United States with our federal lands and we're not allowed to drill for oil and gas, and there's a lot of institutions not coming into the, into the game and allowing us the money. Cause it costs, I mean, it costs a hundred million a year to, to get one rig running in the premium basin. That's a lot of money. And if we need three or 400 of those, and I, I can't do the math, but that's, that's a lot for us to get the supply where we really needed to be energy independent, which you know, I don't believe we'll ever be energy independent in my lifetime. Uh, here's a quick question from our chat. Uh, what about like pipeline stocks or, or MLPs? Do you think they could benefit from Biden's infrastructure plan? Yeah, well, you know, uh, Biden was a keystone pipeline. You know, I don't know. I'm still not scratching my head about exactly why that didn't happen. You know, because uh, trucking it on roads and, and it costs $30 a barrel to transport it from Canada instead of instead of pipelines, which is a lot cheaper. You know, but I do like pipelines 
And most pipelines are on the quantity of oil and the price. So I do like I do like pipelines right now, MLPs or energy transfers, things I do I do like those stocks. I think that's really good. But you know, we need more pipelines in the United States. And the reason why I say that is because of spillage. When we're putting oil into pipelines, it, it doesn't spill and you don't have trucks and trucks and that gets that gets real messy. Pipelines are a lot better as long as they're they're uh, drilled properly and put in place. Uh, I like I like pipelines. I don't know how many more pipelines. That, and I know the Permian Basin, big pipelines going from the Permian to the Gulf, so we could export oil. Uh, but uh, I do like that. Thanks a good play. All right, Jay Young is president and CEO of King Operation Corporation down in Texas. Jay, uh, thanks a lot for coming on today. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. Anytime. Thank all you. Right. If you're listening via podcast, please remember all the information from our show is meant to be used as informational purposes, not for investing or trading advice. Everyone have a good rest of your day. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.